0: Good afternoon, everybody, from Burgess Hill in England. Welcome to episode one of Neither Here Nor There. My name's Stephen, and joining me in person, a rare feat I'm sure this will be for for this podcast, is Daniel. Daniel, introduce yourself.
1: Good afternoon from Burgess Hill, Sussex, England. As you can probably already tell, I do not have an English accent. I'm visiting Stephen here at his home in southern England on this April 1st. Rainy, overcast day here in the United Kingdom. So welcome to episode one of our
0: podcast. We decided to do this for fun. A long time ago, right? We said we should do a podcast, I think probably six (laughs) years ago, and it's taken us six years to set us up. But it's not an April Fool, despite it being April 1st, is it?
1: Nope, not April Fool's. We hope to do this uh, as frequently as possible. Obviously, I'm an American Uh, There's a time zone difference, a travel schedule difference, but we thought it would be a fun thing to do. As you've noticed, the podcast name is neither here nor there. This will be an almost random and raw podcast. Neither of us are really professionals, at least yet. And um, we're just going to talk about things we want to talk about. Um, As our audience grows, of course, we can have guest stars and have questions submitted to us about topics or other things, uh, but we'll cover that much further down the road i'm sure so stephen um you want to go ahead with a little bit about
0: yourself or about how how we became friends or what do you think uh, yeah so it's a, it's a strange one this because my we met at university and but we kind of met in the bizarre circumstances you moved over here briefly for university you did five or six month stint basically in in Roehampton in London and I was studying in London as well but my university was a completely different university we actually met online before he moved over um this is sounding weird but we met online (laughs) (laughs) We we, we met online on a uh a message board for the Tennessee Volunteers football team so we both sport the same college football team which is weird in itself to say as an English person but we met each other um yeah during university when he came over and kind of hit it off and we've basically spent the last decade traveling to and from Europe and America to kind of see each other probably twice two or three times a year so it's kind of it's grown our friendship during that time we've been so many places I think that's why this would be a good podcast because we both love traveling we both kind of have a lot of shared interests and we both just generally curious about life and and everything that kind of surrounds it so yeah that's kind of our backstory um and then the only other thing to know about me I guess is that I'm a journalist um that's kind of my job so this is a a nice little project on the side for me it's kind of doing podcasting at work is a bit more stressful and pressured so it's quite nice to have this as as a bit of a a way to kind of let off steam and and sort of enjoy a sort of excuse to catch up with Daniel what about you Daniel what's your backstory
1: well um I like to talk. I'm not a journalist, so hopefully this comes pretty naturally to me. Um, But good summarization of how we became friends and then what we've done the past uh, decade uh, during our friendship. And I think like it has been for me and you, uh, we've both seen very unique and sometimes obscure parts of our countries. You know, here I am in the little hamlet of Burgess Hill in Sussex. It's not a travel destination by any means, but it's a nice town. And then, of course, Stephen, which I'm sure we'll cover this in an episode one day, has actually been to places like Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, not once but twice. So (laughs) how many English people can say that? But, you know, I think this is probably a good way to not only talk about ourselves and our interests and our views and that sort of thing, Um, but also to maybe bridge a gap between people in the United Kingdom and people in the United States between our respective countries. Now, we will say one disclaimer uh, before we move forward. We will do our best to, of course, be objective uh, and keep this podcast fun and friendly. We don't look to subjectively cover politics or religion or other controversial or hot-button issues. This podcast is for fun. And we hope to remain it as such. There's too much of that in the world today. And we'd like to have an escape, I think. And hopefully you all, our listeners, want an escape from the uh, polarization of everything uh, as
0: well. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, yeah, the idea of this podcast, I think, is going to be a couple of topics on each show that could be completely random. I think we'll probably get into a routine of choosing one each. And then we'll sort of end, end the podcast with like a fun top three bottom three game of like random topics so um we've got two topics already for today and the first one was your idea Daniel and that was kind of like growing up as a millennial right? Yeah
1: yeah exactly and you know I guess I'll tell you how or we'll tell you now how raw and and, uh, maybe a little bit unorganized this podcast is you asked me to tell a bit about myself, and I did not do that. So let me do that real quick, and then we'll jump right in. Um, But yeah, so Daniel Greer, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, in the metro area there. I'm in the insurance industry, and I have lived in Virginia, North Carolina, and Tennessee, three great states all border each other, all in the south to, I guess you would say, Virginia for the most part is a mid-Atlantic state now. Stephen mentioned I spent part of my college years in London, uh changed my life for the better of course and um yeah that's that's a brief summarization of me you'll you'll learn more about both of us as time goes on so yeah so sorry about that folks wanted to just uh give you some insight other to other than just saying that I'm a talker or whatever um but yeah so we wanted to talk about uh growing up at the end of I guess you would say the analog age and then rapidly seeing the world change to so the digital age, which, of course, now the world's changing again to the AI age, which we're not going to postulate into, <laughs> into what that's going to mean because we don't know. Um, but, yeah, so I, I was born in 1993. Stephen, I think you were probably born Ninety- in... 94. 94, so... so not, not a lot of difference. You know, and if, obviously, I was born in America, Stephen was born in the United Kingdom 100 years ago, that would have been a big difference, but... Um, in the modern age where we're so connected it's it's not maybe even in our parents generation it would have been a bigger difference without internet and without that sort of thing to keep us connected and it would be hard for us to keep our friendship going as strong if we didn't have instant messaging and skype and uh, social
0: media and that sort of thing wouldn't you say oh definitely it's the change of technology is just it's almost like a topic you could spend weeks on isn't it there's so much has happened just in our short lives um and i think th- there's a similar friendship that i'm aware of that's like i've got a close family friend who's been a long time friend with somebody from germany but they he's in his sort of late 40s and they effectively met each other um bizarrely on a message in a bottle where mm. um it, my friend Bryn found a message in a bottle on a beach and it was from somebody sending a message in a bottle from the continent that reached the shore of England <laughs> with a contact <laughs> details and and an address to send a letter to and they became pen pals and they're still, you know, best friends to this day and that's like 30 okay. years on.
1: You never told me that no, story. That's, <laughs> so it's like,
0: that is what it would have been like if we'd have met, I guess, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, sending messages in a bottle with like, you know, what do you think of Derek Dooley as the coach of the Tennessee Volunteers or something and sort of letting it drift into the uh, into the Atlantic. <laughs> that's how it would have had to work, I think, before. But now... Carry your pigeon. Maybe. Now, now it's like we can't escape it. I think that's the, the most difficult thing for me, is especially doing a job that involves technology and the media, is is you kind of get s- swept up in it. It's kind of all-consuming technology now. I feel like there's two sides to this topic, which is, one, there's so many benefits of the way we live now compared to how we you know, did in the early 90s. But there's so many in po- uh, negatives as well where people have just changed and people grow up so differently now because there's so much technology and the world is so much smaller that I think... People who were born now or born in the last five years, their first 20 years of their life are going to be even more rapid than ours in terms of the pace of change around them. Daniel, what do you think is the most positive aspect of growing up as a millennial? Let's start there. Well, just probably, I
1: would say, the ease of living. I mean, and you know, this, of course, is could be a negative as well, but you can literally have anything delivered to your house Uh, you pay probably one big thing is you can balance your checking account and you can pay your bills online. You know, back in the day before, uh, before the current internet age, uh, smartphone age, you had to wait for bills in the mail. You might not know what your credit card statement would be every month. And you had to plan your trips around, um, bill payments and those sorts of things. And whereas now, you know, I've I've been in the UK for a week, over a week, I'll be here for another week and I'm paying bills and, you know, paying my credit card and stuff from my phone. That, That to me makes life so much easier. And then I guess in conjunction with that, you know, I just have a plan on my phone that makes it usable in the UK like it is in America. So I can easily talk to people back home just as I normally would. Um, That would be the biggest benefit, because even when I studied abroad here in 2014, nine years ago, the iPhone that I had, I think it was an iPhone 4, did not actually have the capabilities to connect itself to UK networks, so I basically kept it on airplane mode for five months and then had a cheap British phone. I think at one point I had one of your old Android phones, Stephen, to use Mm. the message and call while I was here. It was very strange, you know, looking back just under a decade ago, it seems so antiquated now, but... That's a small example I guess of how things have rapidly changed.
0: Yeah, it's certainly revolutionized travel. I think that's probably my the biggest positive for me is it's it's revolutionized your ability to go to to different countries and experience new things and not have to kind of worry about anything. Like my job as a as a motorsport journalist involves a lot of international travel and you know, I'll be going one week to Central Europe and the next week to Asia and then the next week to, you know, the United States at times. And I think about how difficult that must have been for the people who did this job, you know, twenty, thirty years ago, where if you wanted to cover a race in Japan, you wouldn't be able to talk to anybody, you wouldn't be able to work out the transport. It would be you'd have to be shown by somebody who knew what they were doing because you just couldn't function. Whereas now with a smartphone Anywhere you go, you can find your way home. You can find the nearest, you know, piece of public transport, nearest places to get food and stuff like that. And it's it's almost... it. Even though we kind of grew up at the very end of the time when that wasn't possible, I just can't imagine life without it. I can't imagine getting in a car and having to plan out routes with a map oh and stuff God. like that. Like, could you imagine it? No. Or,
1: <laughs> or go into an airport and... I guess like maybe you ordered tickets through the mail back then or I don't know, how would you order plane tickets
0: before? You have to go to a travel agent. That's right, yeah, travel agent. You have to talk to somebody and they would have to recommend where to go and and that was like then the golden age of travel agency where the people that you spoke to over the desk were like the gurus. You had to you had to trust that they knew what they were talking about and they would have to plan out everything for you because you would just go to another other side of the world and really not know what to expect whereas now everything's so interconnected that it's it's pretty easy to problem solve but in terms of media and entertainment it's changed so much as well but i'm not so sure how positive some of it is what do you think like because we we've gone from blockbuster video and like five channels on the tv to now what like a digital box with hundreds of channels that nobody watches anymore streaming it's overwhelming yeah yeah, that's the biggest thing for me i think it's i think it's just we've got to put where There's just too much everything's saturated well we can segue into you know we've talked about
1: some of the goods of this and now let's talk about some of the maybe hit or miss good or bad and then we'll talk about some of what we feel are negatives and I think you all um, listening to this will be surprised at how Stephen grew up in, you know, greater part of London. I mean, 20, 20, minutes on the tube from, from central London. I grew up in a small town in Appalachia and that's Appalachia, not Appalachia to you folks out there. Um, please pronounce it right. <laughs> and Appalachia, <laughs> right? A- yeah. Whatever you say. <laughs> and, and, you know, we had very similar upbringings in a lot of ways and, We liked a lot of the same things and still do. And even before now where everybody has TikTok, which we don't, um, everybody, everybody except us, everybody except us has TikTok, you know, and everybody plays the same games, watch the same movies, watch the same Netflix shows like we still in the 90s, it seems like had similar interests, which is amazing in itself. But um, but yeah, I I don't know. I think um, what was your original? Well,
0: well, like media and (laughs) entertainment. Yeah. Just how that has gone from being something that was... It was almost like a quest in itself to go and find something you wanted to watch on the TV or come oh, and rent a movie. And now there's, like, just so much You're choice. overwhelmed. And
1: yeah. It's, you're getting hit from all sides. And, you know, I, I think a lot of us in our generation think about Blockbuster um, and the magic of it being a Friday night and you're done with school for the end of the week. And then you and your parents ride over, or I guess maybe in your case, walk over to Blockbuster since it was right there in the Woodford town square. And then you have, you know, movies and video games that you can pick out for the weekend. And, you know, actually in the town I grew up in Abingdon, we didn't have a Blockbuster. We had, there was one in Bristol. Um, We, uh, back in those days, I don't know about the UK, but a lot of supermarkets, grocery stores had um, video stores in them. Mm -hmm. So... We would go to Food Country, which was a small grocery store headquartered in Abington. It's still around. And they had a video store, uh, game store, rental store in, in the facility. And so I remember, and my dad and I still talk about this, the fondness that we both have of these memories of going out to Food Country on a Friday night. And then they would rent, a, my parents would rent a couple of movies. Maybe I'd rent a movie or two. And then uh, we would, I would rent a PlayStation 2 game and I just always remember doing that and how much fun it was. Did, did you have an experience like that too?
0: Yeah, I I mean, there was something magical about the discovery in the sense that even though living in, by a capital city and technically in a capital city, you always, I, the thing I liked about it the most is like going to stores and you would always find stuff that you'd never heard of. Whereas now you've kind of, you have an a, an understanding of when you click on like netflix or something like that you kind of know what what you're getting and you hear from people all the time on the internet what what's good what's bad what to look out for but when we were kids the best thing about it was going to like game shops or going to like blockbuster and finding stuff that you'd never heard of didn't know what it was and it was like a gamble and you had the you had the back of the cover yeah and of, you had yeah you had that's, to that's like, all you had you, yeah you had to look at the back of the cover you had like a limited budget of like £5 or £10 and you had to basically gamble. You had to go, that looks kind of fun, I'll take that. And sometimes it would be amazing, like you'd find like a a game that would change your life, like, you know, GoldenEye 64 or something like that. And then other times you would pick out a movie that's just horrendous. Or, <laughs> or, a, game, yeah. or a game that's just, <laughs> that's broken. But, you know, nobody knew anything about it and nobody could pre-warn you of, of stuff being like a complete waste of money. So it was kind of, I quite liked that in a way. You had to kind of pick and choose what you wanted. Whereas now it's like, you get like decision paralysis. That's what I find sometimes. Like, we, me, me and my girlfriend have to like, we go and watch specific shows and we'll go, right, we're going to do that and we'll just watch that one show, start to finish, and then when that's done, we'll move on to the next thing. Because otherwise you just, with everything in life it feels like, you could just start loads of different things at the same time and you just never finish Never anything. finish it. No. Same with books. But I'm always like that with books. I'm like <sighs> trying to finish books and stuff like that. But I'm sure we'll cover books at some point oh. because books is like such a big passion of both of us, but more more so yourself.
1: Yeah, that's my main hobby. And I still think, despite reading Forty-eight books last year. I think I'm currently reading seven. So that just shows you all how disorganized the modern world can be uh, <laughs> yeah. for us. But um, but yeah, and you know what's really funny? An anecdote about that blockbuster in Woodford. When I first met Stephen nine years ago in 2014, and I would come get off the the tube, uh, the London Underground in Woodford, there was still the blockbuster logo and sign on the town square where the blockbuster had been years before and so I I would say hey you know you guys had a blockbuster too that's really cool mm. you know and that's just another thing like we mentioned earlier about the connectivity of of our um of our cultures and of the modern world even even pre the age that we're in now and you know i think <clears throat> one thing i remember a lot about growing up in the late 90s early 2000s were video games game boys And this was before online gaming. I mean, now it's basically everything's online gaming. And I'm not much of a gamer anymore, but I remember playing Pokemon, um, as most of us did back in those days, and having the link cable and then getting together mm. with friends for a sleepover and like battling or training pokemon. Did, Did you, you ever? Up?
0: do you ever have LAN parties? That was always the thing yeah. that we were ve- we were jealous of for people in America is like people playing Halo and having like You didn't have those? We 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 had I didn't well in the Xbox side, I didn't have any friends who had an Xbox, so I never played one as grown <laughs> up, but It was always something that you'd read about in, like, video game magazines about people doing LAN parties. And none of my friends, we never got it together to, like, take a TV around somebody else's house and, like, all sit in a room with, like, four TVs connected up and, like, wiring in, like, four different consoles together and playing, like, GoldenEye or Halo or something like that. I always wish we did that. But I did do the Link, like, the Link cables on, um, on Pokemon and Mario Kart and stuff like that, like, being able to play each other, like, really archaically through without before internet connection was like persistent it was amazing it was
1: (laughs) it was at the time
0: it was yeah
1: and you know and then we um i guess you know uh, back in in the 2000s i played world of warcraft and that was addictive and that was probably the first online game i ever played um and you know you had to have a decent computer back then to run that thing and good internet which a lot of people still in the mid-2000s middle class
0: people didn't have you must uh, my impression of like the place where you grew up I imagine internet connection wasn't that superb for quite a long time because living in London we kind of I felt like the internet connection the speed that we got went so quickly from being terrible and like dial up to being really reliable because you're in a major city Mm. I'm surely in like where you grew up was it a point where a lot of people, you had friends, you know, would go around a friend's house and, and they would have really bad internet, even as recently as like 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it would be. And, you know, it's all about generational things, too. I'm sure there are older people around still today that probably don't have Wi-Fi, you know, and don't or don't use it if they do. They probably just have it as part of their phone plan. But, yeah, we had... I guess we had dial-up in our old house in Abingdon that I lived in until I was 13. had a had a monitor computer, you know, like some old Windows 98 running uh, gateway or something that uh, had internet. And then I, th- I think we had something with XP on it. I think I got my first laptop maybe around the time I started high school. But I don't think that we actually had Wi-Fi because, you know, we didn't have smartphones
0: until I was... 2009, six. I think, yeah. the first one I got.
1: until I was, like, 16, you know, didn't have smartphones, so we didn't really have a need for Wi-Fi. We had one computer that was the console for that. And it had, you know, it was fine internet and everything. And um, But one thing I just thought of is we should talk about magazines.
0: Oh, yeah, because they've kind of almost, not died, but they've kind of...
1: They, just... they were
0: massive. Like I I used to have so many. I used to I used to read a drumming magazine every week. I used to read Rhythm. Uh, well that was monthly I think. And then and then I would read uh Nintendo Official Magazine. Nintendo Power. No, it wasn't in the UK. It was oh. I don't think we had Nintendo Power. I used to get the Nintendo Official Magazine. And then I would get um what was it called? There was a political magazine I used to read as well called um Total Politics once a month as well when I was growing up mm. and everybody it was the only way you could get news about nerdy stuff or anything you were particularly interested yeah in, wasn't it
1: and you didn't realize you know like now nerd culture is is so big it's mainstream um, now it's, it's not really nerd culture anymore. everybody I mean everybody likes Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and there's I mean neither of us I don't think have ever played Dungeons and Dragons but there's a Dungeons and Dragons movie <laughs> now. you know and it's just it's so mainstream you're right and I'll say, you know, the the magazines I remember reading as a kid were Nickelodeon Magazine, um, Boy's Life, which was the Boy Scouts of America magazine. Um, I'm an Eagle Scout and a member, a life member of the National Eagle Scout Association, and then also Nintendo Power, as we've mentioned. Um, So those were my things. And, you know, I remember just getting it in the mail after school, getting one of those, especially the Nintendo or the Pokemon ones and reading them just cover to cover and, you know, Mm. learning about like, games or like the Nickelodeon magazine was very tongue in cheek. Um It was sort of like Mad Magazine, I guess. It was funny. There were cartoons. It was just an enjoyable escape. And, you know, this was back before we used computers. Like our escapes back in these days were analog video games, mm. books and magazines and then movies. And, um you know, I remember another thing too, growing up in our old house, I didn't have cable in my bedroom. I had a little eight inch, TV 10 inch TV with a uh, VHS player built in and I remember watching you know the movies back in those days that I was obsessed with oh and then I had my PlayStation 2 which was a DVD player and it was hooked up to that as well but it was like I don't know about you but back in those days it was without like we're talking about this overload now of media and streaming but I would watch the same movies over and over and again and yep. my dad would episode. come into the room and say what are you doing watching Star Wars again you watched that last week <laughs> and, and you know but it was it was Star Wars it was Lord of the Rings it was Indiana Jones it was The Patriot with you know or, or Braveheart Mel Gibson movies that are, you know and what about you like same thing well when I was really <clears> young, <throat>
0: I, I used to watch Rugrats in Paris yes. every night before sleeping for about two years <laughs> <laughs> every night every night to the point where the tape
1: broke i love that movie <laughs> um love that movie i had the game the
0: game boy color for rugrats in paris yes, i used to watch spider-man stuff but but that's the thing is that that's the time when we had um really ridiculous ways of being able to like you would have as you say like a TV of a video player in it or TV with a DVD player in it. And my dad was always really technologically advanced, which is kind of where I get my love of technology from, is that my dad was always into the next big thing. He was always kind of an early adopter to stuff. So he would, like, we would record stuff on VCR, like, and, like, TV programs and stuff like that, so that before you could record stuff on, like, boxes or watch them on streaming, and then record stuff on DVDs. And that's kind of what eventually led me to meeting you, because my dad, once he got wind of the fact that I quite liked American sports by playing, like, video games and um, by, like, giving it a shot on, like, school holidays, like, staying up really late and watching, like, ice hockey at, like, four o'clock in the morning, my dad would get the DVD recorder and he would record stuff overnight for me so that I could watch sports (laughs) the next day. So it was, like, basically, like, shit ESPN, where, like, I would spend... I would watch... American sports every night, like but like a day later or a week later after they were they were taped, that was that was something that I used to do obsessively. Oh yeah, well,
1: I you know I'm a huge sports fans, sport fan now, which we'll even talk about later in this podcast. That's one thing Stephen and I bond over. But my first exposure to sports growing up, I really didn't like sports very much as a young child, but I loved. Uh, the Madden and then the NCAA, which for those of you that don't know, you know, I'm sure we'll have some U.K. listeners, hopefully. NCAA, that's the uh, Na- National Collegiate Athletic Association. Association. Yeah. So in America, college sports, which we mentioned we became friends over the Tennessee football team. That's the University of Tennessee. University level sports or we could say college as well. Sports are huge, humongous college. American football, basketball, baseball are huge. And it was to the point where they even made video games uh, based on these sports every year. You know, Electronic Arts EA, same that makes FIFA and Madden, made these games. And so, I think the first one I had was NCAA two thousand three, and I think I convinced my mom to get that for my dad for his birthday. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm sitting here yeah. <laughs> uh, saying you know for him, um, but you know, and my dad would always get so mad at us play at, uh, playing this game because I would just throw hail marys and run halfback isolations and beat him, <laughs> and then I would go for two on every every extra point, and then I would onside kick after on every kickoff or after every scoring play, and it would or, or go for it on fourth and twenty. Just you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a kid, but that
0: was a good memory as well um see for me like on the other side now it's accessible like if you're in like American sports have become really big over here and it's it's gone from like a really underground network of people over here that were like really into like NFL <laughs> and stuff in the 80s and like watching baseball and ice hockey and basketball and stuff it's gone from being something that was like you'd spend you no know, I, I remember going on holidays with with my dad and we would like keep a tally of every time we saw somebody who had, like, an American sports hat or a shirt or something, going, God, look, there's somebody with a Buccaneers T-shirt. Wow. Like, they must be a massive fan because you just couldn't buy any of it. And it was the same with games, where, like, to get the NCAA football game, I had to import it from America. So I had to, like, go to my local game shop that was, like, an independent thing. And the guy who ran this shop happened to be a massive Miami Dolphins fan. So he would like, use his contacts and import American sports games to the UK. (laughs) And sometimes they wouldn't work on a UK machine, depending on the console. So, like, certain things, like, back in the day, you'd have, like, Power and NTSC. And so I remember, like, ordering games or DVDs of, like, you know, season highlights of, like, the Miami Heat in 2006. And on a UK DVD player, they didn't work because it wasn't the right region. So it was all this sort of stuff that I had to, like, go through to, like, just be able to kind of get into it. And now... Kind of drawing back to this topic, everything is kind of accessible everywhere. And it's, It's there is kind of, there is something, there was something quite nice about that simpler time in a way, because it was kind of so innocent.
1: Well, and you know, one of our friends, um, Mark, he's an American. He always, he's a little bit older than us. And he always talks about how there was the thrill of, you know, when something would release a new game or a new console, or even the midnight release of a movie in theaters there was the thrill and adrenaline rush of going out and being a part of it. Or then if you were trying to like, it, it was let's say it's Christmas and the Nintendo Wii is coming out, you know, this is like 2006 or seven or whatever. And then like going around town and trying to find a store that still has a, a copy of what you're looking for. Like there was a lot of excitement with that. Whereas now you just can download battle with it. spam
0: bots on Amazon. Keeps. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You just, you just <laughs> do it online, I guess. And you know, there, there was a lot of fun to that. And, Um, I guess we can also talk about,
0: you know, the negatives of that. I think there is a big negative and I feel like, and I'm sure you will agree with this. The biggest negative of technology change in our lives is the fact that we've all become addicted to phones. Exactly. And there's almost nothing you can do about it because you just, I feel like there's just so few people our age, especially who aren't constantly on their smartphone and it's almost like I hate it but you can't you don't even know you're doing it anymore and that's kind of the worst thing about this is that we're all kind of so plugged in all the time that we can't you know almost like live in the real world at times
1: yeah and it's I catch myself all the time but then I feel naked and anxious without my phone and I'm sad to say that but I'm sure it's true for a lot of people and I've tried, you know, or tried to still at night, like after work or whatever, just to put my phone in my bedroom and then sit on my couch and read a book or something. And it's so hard to focus anymore. But
0: you Do know, I think it's actually changed the way our brains function. I think so. Do you I, mean like on an actual biological level, like we've all been programmed differently to people who are like twenty years older than us? I think it's well,
1: I don't know. I mean, I see people in that generation on their phones. Well, a lot maybe thirty today. or
0: forty. Then
1: <laughs> I think I think it's ruined our attention spans for certain. Oh, definitely. But- Definitely. But I, you know, I'll never forget, and I guess I'm lucky. And you, you had experiences like this too, I'm sure. I, I mentioned earlier, I was a, I'm an Eagle Scout. You know, every summer we would go to Boy Scout camp for a week, uh, Camp Atari in Virginia, and it just seems crazy now to me that I would go out into the wilderness for a week with, literally, this camp out in the Blue Ridge Mountains had maybe like a phone or an office if there was an emergency. There was um you could be contacted. But for a whole week I was just living in a tent off the grid with, you know, my peers and it was great. It was fantastic. There was actually a payphone. I remember now that I'm talking about it. My parents would buy me a preloaded like payphone card with like ten dollars on it. So I could, you know, call them long distance or whatever it was from this pay this one payphone at the mess hall at this camp. And I remember doing that, and now it's just like wow, like here I am sitting in the UK with full service on a smartphone, and then even like on planes now, like I flew mm-hmm. American Airlines over here last week. You can pay and have Wi-Fi. It's not very good Wi-Fi,
0: <laughs> but yeah,
1: but you can you can
0: message and everything. I feel like it's over at that point. The moment that you get like fiber optic level Wi-Fi <clears throat> on a plane, I think we're all doomed as a society because I feel like the only time I get off. I can switch off from my phone, is on a plane. I actually quite enjoy it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, is there is something quite freeing about just kind of leaving it aside or your phone running out of battery or something and just that not, not being able to do anything. You know, and that's kinda of sad that it's got to that point, but it does I do get to a point where it does it like you, it makes me a bit anxious when you don't when you have don't access have access yeah. to it because you're just like, I'm always worried about oh, you know, is something happening at work, is something happening with family or friends or whatever. And it's that that almost like endorphin boost you get from, um, yeah, or adrenaline rush you get from like messages and stuff like that coming in. And it's it's horrible that it gets to that point, but you just you worried that because there's like an expectation now of everybody seems to be able to respond to anything instantly, you know you can't. That that pressure almost of having to keep up with people all the time makes adult life just so much more complicated even though everything's simpler like you don't have to leave your house to do most things now and you can do stuff at the touch of a button at the same time because everything's so quick and easy you're just expected to do more and like talk more and I find that a real struggle
1: yeah and and you know I guess back in the day you said you were going to meet somebody at the mall at six o'clock you were going to meet them at the mall because how the heck would they have known otherwise you couldn't text them you know or yeah. i guess you could call their phone and i know i guess there really probably wasn't caller id until the 90s um i remember we you know we had fault corded and cordless phones some with caller id some with not and that seems crazy you know i still remember my house phone number growing up um Mm, Which no, is we no, really, don't really
0: have house phones
1: anymore. I don't. My house. I don't think my parents do. I've never no, <clears throat> and I've never had one in my adult life, and <throat> you know, there's just no need for it. There's no need. And then, you know, I do miss the going off the grid and the, then living in the moment. You know, like right now, we it, it's always like we're checking social media or or we're you know Stephen and I are both big news people. Like we're we're reading the Economist or Wall Street Journal. I know we both read those a lot, or we're listening to a podcast, and it's like. Sometimes it was just nice maybe to just sit in a car and not have anything to do or I'd have my Game well, Boy or listen I to the radio and have like,
0: somebody else choose what you're doing for a while.
1: Yeah. and um, It was always nice going over to my grandparents' house um, in the late 90s and early 2000s because, you know, like they, they had computers and everything too but they were born, my mom's parents were born in the early 30s. My dad's parents were born in the early 40s. And, but technology was not an essential part of their lives they still did everything analog and by mail and handwritten and for the most part you know i I think they used emails and stuff some but not really but it was always nice to go over you know in the summer or the weekends to their house and i would remember at my my dad's parents' house, like, I would just hang out and, you know, watch, like, Cartoon Network, watch Scooby-Doo, or Disney Channel, or a Disney movie, and, like, you would have the TV guide, like, the actual TV guide that would show, like, what was on. You yeah. couldn't stop TV back then. <laughs> and I remember basing my childhood around yeah, what was on. planning
0: Netflix. your day around what was going to be on TV. And if you
1: missed a show, you missed it. Yeah. And that was it, you know? And I remember missing Rugrats once when I was, like, seven years old, and... I hated
0: it because
1: it was Rugrats. It was my favourite show.
0: But it meant that you were you were in the playground and you couldn't... Like, people would talk about... Like we'd watch, like, Cartoon Network or something or, like, Spongebob or something random on, the, uh, you know, on on an evening or after school. And then the next day, if you missed it, you couldn't get involved in the conversation in the school playground because everyone else had watched it and they'd be all talking about it. And you'd just be like, well, I haven't got a clue. I, mean, I was oh, out no. last night. And then you'd be, like, you'd be so, like, almost pushed aside by that. It was and, funny.
1: And woe, woe to the child that wasn't up to date on the latest, you know, Pokemon or Mario yeah. game or trading cards, trading cards. Cause you were just sometimes left out. You
0: yeah. Know, and it the, pressurized parents into like, Oh God, right. Okay. This year it's going to be football cards. So everyone's collecting football cards at school. So in order to stop my son from being basically um, disowned by his schoolmates, I've got to spend £2,000 on match <laughs> attack cards this year, even though he doesn't like football. <laughs> it's, it's just
1: it's just crazy. And I, I remember having, you know, I think I had some, I think I've got some Peyton Manning rookie cards somewhere, American football. Um, but, you know, having literally, like, everything – To do with Pokemon, you know, like Pokemon towels, like beach towels, Pokemon cards, Pokemon movies, the Pokemon DVD. I mean, the games, you know, whatever. And then the same with a lot of the stuff that like literally back then, I think we were talking about this the other day. It was like if a movie was coming out, you know, say like Shark Tale, that animated Will Smith movie that I think DreamWorks did 20 (laughs) years ago. There was a video game. Yeah. Like, you don't see tie in video games anymore. Because it for...
0: costs... It takes six years to make, and it costs about £300 million pounds <laughs> to fund each one now. Yeah, no, there was something nice about that. Do you want to move on to topic two? Yeah. Um So, so topic two is my my to- my chosen topic for this, and this is, like, um inspired by the fact that baseball's just started up, and, and summer sports are kind of on the horizon. Um, so I kind of want to just talk about, like, summer sports memories and, like, the culture of that, and, like you know, what you think of when you think of like, you know, spending time over the summer following teams and stuff when the weather gets nicer and um, you know, we have like sports like cricket, football and, and baseball and stuff over over the summer.
1: Yeah, I you know, I wasn't <clears throat> a huge sports fans, really a fan really fan until really I was a teenager and not particularly a big baseball fan until I was in college and I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan. Uh and have been now for you know a decade. But my family, uh, in particular, have been Braves fans for a long time. So I always associate the summers with the Atlanta Braves. And my, my mom's mom was a huge Braves fan. My dad's a huge Braves fan. My dad watches every game. I watch as many games as I can, probably most of them. Um, but the best thing about, the best memory um, and about summer and then about the Braves and then growing up as well was Back when Ted Turner owned the Braves, every single Braves game in America was on national television on TBS Turner Broadcasting, um, and that didn't matter if you were in Miami or you were in Anchorage, Alaska. You had the Braves on cable network TV, and That's so amazing, really. And yeah, and then in conjunction with that, I mean, I think it had been like that before, but then the nineties, the Braves were amazing. They won a World Series. They they should have won some more, and. They had probably the three best pitchers of all time. Of course, you know, I was young. I don't really remember those days. The first player I really remember and the player who I saw was last year, I think in 2012 or 13, from that era before he retired, was Chipper Jones. Uh, But I do remember summer. You know, it's hot. It's the dog days of summer. There's not much else on, you know, in America, especially back then. Soccer wasn't big, um, or your football, as you say. Uh, But I do remember the Braves on TBS and hearing Skip Carey and then later Chip Carey, um, the broadcasters, because it was always on. Baseball's on every single day from April to November now, so that's my main memory uh, for summer
0: sports. But yeah, it's, it's similar for me because i weirdly like uh, when I grew up, I wasn't really a fan of English sports at all until sort of middle of high school. And by that point, I'd already adopted American sports as kind of the thing that I was really fascinated by and. I was kind of alienated at school, most for it, because it was something that nobody else really cared about whatsoever. Because it was so difficult to follow, and people just didn't understand it. Um, so when I got into baseball, like I was kind of the same. But obviously, I support Los Angeles and the Dodgers, so that all their games are on in the middle of the night, which means, <laughs> which means I would stay up. I would even like in the summer when school was off, I would stay up all night and listen to radio. Um, and later, like, when MLB TV became something that I could afford, like, watch the games live, and then we'd go on, like, vacation or holiday with, with my parents, and I would take, like, a, my original iPad or something like that, and we would... I would just find Wi-Fi, and just, like, every day, we'd just sit and watch baseball while I was on holiday, and that just always makes me think of going on holiday baseball and listening to Vin Scully's voice broadcasting and just that sort of... It's just quite comforting. That's the best thing about baseball. It's not particularly like like crazy, exciting and stuff going all the time and like this sort of razzmatazz entertainment. But it is quite, it's like a comfort blanket in the summer when things slow down and people are on holiday and you were off school or whatever and you didn't have as much to do. That's kind of the thing I love about it. And it's similar with, with cricket. Cricket, obviously, is massive in England in the summer. Not so much as it used to be, but it's still kind of like an institution. And there's something just so nice about... Like I'm, I'm quite a big winter fan in general. I quite like it when it's cold and dark and you sort of sit inside and you can listen to the rain, that sort of thing. I find that quite nice. But when the weather gets good and you, like, go with friends and family to watch, like, a game of cricket or something, I love that. I really, like, look forward to it every year now. Like going and seeing, like just sitting out in the sunshine, having a drink of pims and eating like a eating like a duck wrap or something. Watching you, some of that.
1: You're gonna have to explain to our American listeners a few things. I mean, I think people maybe have a general idea of cricket, but tell tell the listeners what uh, pims and a duck wrap. I mean, I know what I know what pims is. I had <laughs> yeah, some you, last night. You got night, a bottle
0: but, of it. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, go ahead. It's, know, like, it's basically that. like. Nobody knows what pims is. It's kind of like the hot dog of drinks where nobody knows what it is and nobody kind of questions it either. <laughs> it's like a secret recipe. It's kind of like a spirit that you just mix with lemonade, basically. You it's put, good. like, fruit in it, usually. Traditionally, you would add, like, cucumber and orange and strawberries and, like, random fruits and just lob it all in a jug and then just pour, like, like a third of pims and, then like, a massive two-litre bottle of lemonade into it and, like, mix it up. And that's, like, a really traditional summer drink. And then... Yeah, duck wraps. I mean, who doesn't like, you know, shredded duck with like sweet sour sauce or something like that put in a wrap. I mean, that's that's for me is that summer sitting sitting watching a game of cricket with with a jug of pims and and a few friends. I love that. I really do love that.
1: Yeah, um, I need to remember to bring some pims back to America. Without... <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised you can't get it. I mean, maybe you can, but I haven't seen it. But I don't I don't drink that much anymore anyway, so I haven't probably looked too hard for it over the past year or two. But, um, but yeah, and then I guess you could say one thing that's interesting about cricket is cricket became, what, the sport of the British Empire, and then now a lot of the former colonies are dominant in cricket, right, like the West Indies and
0: India and Pakistan and it, those places. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it was a- – Originally, in fact, it was like a way of like the English touring around, showing everyone who's boss, basically by like inventing a game that nobody else could understand and just <laughs> kicking their ass at it, basically. Sounds <laughs> that sounds about right to me. <laughs> to be so, fair, yeah. So America's not quite caught onto it yet, but you'll get there. You will get there at uh, some point. So you say, <laughs> well,
1: you know, I will say baseball and cricket are seemingly similar sports, but one one thing I enjoy about baseball is the the scientific.
0: Uh, aspect of it. You know, it's a very calculated sport. Um, it's all numbers. Yeah. Like the players running around is just like effectively like people. I imagine like the people sitting in the front office of baseball teams who are like, all they do is scout. The, um, you know, I imagine they just, when they look out of the field, they just see numbers running around rather than players because they just, it's so statistically driven, isn't it? It's amazing. And, you know, I, I will attest to one
1: thing that really makes you appreciate baseball more is Ken Burns' documentary that he did in the 90s and then I think expanded upon in the 2000s through the steroid era. Uh, If you watch that, it's on Amazon Prime uh, through PBS. It's amazing, and it really makes you appreciate the longevity of the sport, and it's truly America's pastime. Now, this year they've obviously sped the game up. They've made some changes, which look like they'll make better but baseball still needs to evolve i don't know how to
0: make it more appealing again to people probably less games fewer games because it's 162 games a year for every team it's just too many but you know games feel urgent because it just feels like oh it's okay if we lose five games in a row it's fine true that is a good point like nfl when you've got like only 16 games a year or 17 games a year now or even like premier league games where you've got you play everyone twice. Every game feels like there's so much riding on it. And I feel like that that gets people involved and interested because they feel like I've got to tune in because it really matters if we win or lose. Whereas baseball, you just kind of put it on, in my experience, and you have it on the background or you just kind of chill out and watch it. It doesn't... I'm not standing at the edge of, my, you know, the end of of my seat going, God, we really must beat the Giants today. I can't believe we've lost. It's like, oh, well, we're playing them another 500 times this summer. So it's fine. It's like, but I will say, though, you know, in the summertime when there's not much else on,
1: there's nothing I enjoy more than coming back home, putting on the Braves game at night. And then another good thing about baseball is you can do other stuff while watching baseball, you know, because baseball is a slow it's sport. It's the millennial dream. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can sit on your phone all night and still see, uh, every home run because they show it 10 times. But, um, you know, and then really like in America, traditionally it's baseball, right? That's the summer sport. But now and living in Charlotte, I can attest to this because we do have one is that the MLS, uh, for you UK listeners, I'm sure you may know, but that's major league soccer, uh, your football, um, sort of the, I guess, the fifth major American sports league after the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL. So uh, the MLS has really taken off in America. Um, They don't have the best players. You know, they just go to Europe or wherever once, if they're good enough. Um, But it is fun. And I think the best thing that's going for the MLS is that it is on from, I think, like March to October So it's really on in that period of the year where there's not much else on besides baseball because NFL's over and then it's just getting started towards the end of the MLS season. And then NBA, you know, it goes on till June. NHL, same thing, but they're not as big really anymore. And I think that's really helped. I've been to a couple of Charlotte FC games. They're fun. They're lively. They were a new team in 2022. Uh, And then it looks to me, as far as I know, that the league is spreading rapidly.
0: I mean, there's already, what, like 30 teams or something in it? Yeah, it's crazy. And it's weird because the MLS kind of starts as the Premier League ends. So it's kind of like... It fills the gap, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It fills the gap. So it might, you never know, it might take over here in the summer because summer sports over here, it's just cricket. I guess Formula One runs through the summer and then tennis, like the big tennis tournaments and golf and stuff like that. But I don't feel like, aside from the odd weekend of like a major sporting event, that, you know, people don't. People actually use the summer as a break from sport sometimes over here because <laughs> the, the the football season is so intense through like the winter. Yeah. So people just spend more time going to concerts and stuff. But so we've got ten minutes left because we're going to keep this to an hour. So let's do the final section, which I think we're going to do is top three, bottom three. So we're choosing two different things, and we're going to do top three sports and we're gonna do bottom three cities we've visited so do you want to start with your top three sports
1: yeah sure and so this and this will change you know every every episode we'll do a top three of something and a bottom three of something and again listeners you know if you have anything you want us to cover like if you want our opinion on what the top three and bottom three are for each of us respectively let us know Um, we have an email set up now so you can email us or you know us personally send us a message. Yeah neither here nor um, that
0: pod at gmail.com.
1: Neither here nor there pod at gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so top three sports. Um I would say without a doubt, uh American football, but specifically college football. The NFL NFL's okay to me, but I grew up in the South. College football's big, as we mentioned, we're both Tennessee volunteers fans. I I live and die by Tennessee football. I've um I've uh, been to a lot of games, had a lot of heartbreak over the years with them as a team, but I love them. They were my grandpa's team. Um, He was a graduate from the University of Tennessee, and then actually my sister has her master's from Tennessee um, as well. So we do have some familial ties to the school, and then uh, I love them, you know, and they they always – Uh, usually let me down, but I will say last year was good, and then it looks like they're finally back on the upswing. So, American football is number one. Number two, baseball. This wasn't always the case. As I mentioned, baseball's a newer thing for me, but I love baseball. I pretty much already explained why, um, so I won't go much else into that, but Uh, but yeah, that's number two. And then number three, I would say would be soccer. Um, I don't really like baseball or sorry. I don't really like basketball anymore. Uh, it's okay. And then I don't, I've never liked hockey again. I grew up in the South. It doesn't
0: really, not a lot of ice
1: ice, um, (laughs) in the South. That's a Northern Canadian, you know, Yankee thing to do um so yeah so number three would be soccer grew up playing soccer or football uh for U- UK folks out there um and really I think our, <clears throat> I remember playing I think it was FIFA World Cup 2002 on the GameCube that was great and then first World Cup I remember watching was 2010 in South Africa that was fun and then uh, my dad and I started watching Premier League back when Rooney was playing for Man U and uh, that was, he loved Rooney, but now we're both Tottenham fans. Thanks to Steven and his dad. And, um, so yeah, I've just been sort of fully immersed into it. And then of course mentioned Charlotte FC being in my city currently. And so that helps as well. But the top three sports long winded answer
0: <laughs> as far as it goes. All right. What are yours? Uh, okay. My, I'll, I'll be more quick fire. My top three sports is UK football. Number one, massive Tottenham fan season ticket holder, my family have been going to Spurs games since the 1940s. It's a it's a big deal for my family, and more so now than it's been in a long time. Um, bizarrely, because when you started studying abroad, we started to go to games and took you to some games, and that kind of sparked my true love of the team. So I've been massively into them since then. Second is American football, massive Tennessee Volunteers fan and a Green Bear Packers fan in the NFL, and I love love that sport so much. Go to America every year at least once to try and see it. And then... Um, NFL games yeah. in London. Yeah, yeah, and then NFL games in London. And then third is difficult. I kind of feel like it should probably be... It's either baseball, basketball, or cricket. I can't really choose. Um, <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll, I'll go... Mm, it's a three-way tie. Uh, yeah, it's a three-way tie. It's a um, three-way tie. With, but uh, prob- probably basketball's just nosing ahead.
1: As you've learned, neither of us can answer direct questions very well. <laughs> so bottom three cities. Bottom three cities. Well, huh. That's tough for me. I you've seen a lot more armpits of the world with your travels than I had. Um, I would say probably number one would be Detroit, Michigan. Uh, you know, Detroit gets a bad rep. Everybody knows how Detroit is. Uh I didn't really have a bad time there. Um, I enjoyed it. Actually, the downtown of Detroit's really nice. I went to a baseball game at Code Park back in 2016. It's a great ballpark on the, I think it's the St. Clair River. Uh, It was in the summer. The weather was good. But, you know, Detroit's not great. Um, Even down there around the city center, at least at that time, granted this was seven years ago now almost, uh, there were still a lot of rundown buildings. There were still a lot of issues with uh, people on the streets. There were casinos. You know, kind of rougher crowd type of deal. Um, so that would be number one. Number two would probably be, uh, I think it was Taiwan, Morocco. Nice. Um, which I have been to Africa. I've been to Morocco. I went uh, on a trip to Spain. We took a day excursion to Morocco back in like two thousand eight. Maybe it was a long time ago now. Um, and it is what, you know, you would expect. Like, it was really cool to see the Arabic and Berber culture and architecture. The food was amazing, but it's not a very nice place overall. You know, it was dirty and didn't necessarily feel safe. And, uh, I do remember seeing a pizza hut there, though. (laughs) I thought that was, was really funny and out of place. Um, third, I would probably say, uh and I I do say this with a bit of bias, It's probably Tuscaloosa, Alabama, (laughs) Um, which, to be fair, it's not even a city. It's a college town, but whatever. Um, (laughs) You know, I I went and saw Tennessee play Alabama there in 2016. Uh, They lost. It was a good game. But it's just not, you know, all all, all feelings aside towards Alabama, um, it's not a very nice town. It's run down. Um yeah. you know, it's visibly different than the Carol- North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia. Um I would go back. I mean the stadium's grey. The people were nice. It's just you know, whatn' wasn't the
0: best place in the world, I guess you could say. But okay. So my my bottom three are Shanghai is probably the worst. Um <laughs> and Mexico City second. Both just really too overcrowded. People aren't particularly nice when I'm in my experience when I was there. And it's kind of the only places in the world I've ever felt particularly unsafe. And this has come from somebody who's lived in a capital city their whole life. Um, and then the third one's Marseille. I'm going to go with Marseille in France. Because it's a place, in being in the south of France, you expect it to be this like Riviera, this fantastic, like, you know, lovely weather, great food, just sort of really picturesque postcard kind of city. And it's not, it's an absolute hellhole. Um, I, I, every time I've been there, I've always been like surprised at just how industrial and just run down it feels. Maybe I've not been to the right parts, but that's Mm. what I'll say. So yeah, let's wrap it up now. Keep it just under the hour mark. Um, it's been really cool. It's been a really, like really fun hour. I think it's quite nice to just sit and chill and chat.
1: Yeah, it's been good. And we'll of course be doing this, um, remotely probably the next time since I'll be going back home soon. Um, And then, of course, when we're together, we'll do this. But no, it's been fun. It's felt natural. We could probably keep talking for a couple more hours, I'd say. Um, Yeah, and... It makes it easy. I mean, we just sort of talk, started talking about this seriously the other day, even though we kind of talked about it years ago, set it up set it up on Spotify, made a quick logo, and <laughs> made a quick Gmail account, and here we are. You know, again, this is just for We're fun. We're pro-podcasts now. We've completed it. Yeah, we'll wait on uh, Joe Rogan to invite us. It'll be any minute now, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, there he is now at the front door.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, Joe. Are you right? <laughs>
1: well, yep. you know... Uh, but it's it's good you know to do this and even if it's just for us to talk and hang out and that sort of thing it makes it makes it fun um, but we hope the audience grows or we hope at least our friends and family will listen to us or you know we're starting
0: crushingly small but we will grow
1: yep, yep. so shout out to probably parents <laughs> and,
0: shout, and, and shout out to the four listeners <laughs> and siblings
1: that probably hear this episode and yeah don't forget to email us like and subscribe share it talk about us Um, if you don't like us, keep your mouth shut.
0: Yeah, fantastic. We'll uh, see you in a couple of weeks probably for the next one. Thank you very much. This has been the Neither Here Nor There podcast, and we'll see you in the next one. And I'm your host, Daniel Greer. And I'm Stephen Kilby.